This is Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the week's top news about next week's election, growing demands for information to justify COVID-19 mitigations, and more. We'll also get commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb about continued COVID-19 closures and high school sports. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of The Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at thecentersquare.com, the country's fastest-growing, nonprofit, nonpartisan, state-focused news and information site. We deliver essential Illinois news and information with a taxpayer sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. We know that you want to get a quick update on what's happening at the state capitol in Springfield and across the state. Our team writes short, impactful stories that help all Illinoisans understand what's going on in their home state. We know that you need information that allows you to understand what the governor and your local legislators are doing. Our team covers government and the activity of elected officials so you can make sense of how their activity affects you and your family and your future here in Illinois. We know Illinois because we live in Illinois. Get the news that you need to know at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. Thecentersquare.com. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Here's some of the top stories from the past week. Members of the Illinois legislature from across party lines are calling for public hearings to have Governor J.B. Pritzker justify prohibiting indoor bar and restaurant service because of COVID-19. By Sunday, eight of the state's 11 regions of the governor's COVID-19 reopening plan will have tighter restrictions on them. Several regions were announced throughout the week, including Chicago, which has restrictions beginning Friday. The Central West region has tighter restrictions beginning Sunday. Casey Goldbro owns Fox Fire Restaurant in Kane County and said the major problem with the edicts is businesses get little to no notice. Uh, we don't get any notice at all. We go by rumors and hearsay. So we can't really plan ahead uh, when the when we get the, the, the press conference. We don't even get a fax or an email saying, hey, the governor's going to do this. We can't plan ahead. Kane County Judge Kevin Bush issued a restraining order against the governor's orders prohibiting indoor bar and restaurant service. Attorney Kevin Nelson told WGN it's about following the Illinois Public Health Act in his defense of Foxfire to operate. And in there, every restaurant, every business is afforded due process. And if you're going to shut them down, you got to give them advance notice. And, and ultimately, the decider of that is a local judge. Foxfire attorney Greg Earl said the order is in place until there's another hearing. Currently, the order is only for Foxfire, but we're hoping that uh, maybe we can expand this a little bit. They expect an appeal. The Illinois Attorney General's office didn't indicate an appeal, but said Tuesday that they're committed to defending the measures. Geneva State Representative Dan Ugaste said that his reading of Monday's outcome matches his understanding of the law that the governor's limited to only 30 days for such emergency declarations. Since March, the governor has been acting on his own without input without support, without the contributions of the legislature. But it's not just Republicans who are demanding more input from the legislature. Chicago Democratic State Representative LaShawn Ford said the governor can't rule with an iron fist without input from taxpayers. Taxpayers deserve to be um, included in this process so that they can share their uh, data as well. Ford said giving taxpayers a say will help build a buy-in, and that could improve health outcomes. 
Rosemont Republican State Representative Bradley Stevens said lawmakers aren't looking for anything other than the ability to represent their constituents. We want to be those 118 worker bees that go out and talk to the people and make sure that the people don't think that they're being hoodwinked by some of this you know, some of this data that we haven't been able to see. House Minority Leader Jim Durkin said the studies the governor's relying on to impact the bar and restaurant industry isn't relevant to Illinois. Those aren't reliable documents to make a decision that we're going to shut down the restaurants in Chicago because of some studies that were conducted outside of the United States and also that look in how the COVID virus spreads on shipline cruises. Durkin reiterated what Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot said this week, that the spread is happening in private gatherings. Durkin favored negotiations over litigation. Pritzker says grants are available, but Edison Park Chamber of Commerce Executive Director Melissa McIntyre said those are not being distributed fairly. Many of our businesses have not through the city or the state uh, have really qualified for some of these grants because we're not a low-income area. Illinois Licensed Beverage Association Executive Director Dan Klausner said his members are in a tough spot on whether to comply or defy. Some of them have said, if I close now, I'm closing for good. So I'm going to stay open and force the government to close me down because I'm going to close anyway. He said they're reviewing possible litigation. Separately, Senate Minority Leader Bill Brady said the legislature must hold hearings to hold the Pritzker administration accountable. The legislature needs to get involved in this. Uh, it's time to stop just unilateral actions on the part of the governor and convene the General Assembly to jointly make decisions that, that are good for the people of Illinois with transparent data. The Senate President's Office said having public hearings is something they'll review. Messages seeking a statement from House Speaker Michael Madigan's office about calls for public hearings were not returned. The governor said he's not looking to modify his orders that prohibit indoor service for bars and restaurants in areas with a COVID-19 positivity rate of higher than 8%. Illinois reported 7,800 more people filed for unemployment claims last week than the week before, continuing week after week of increases for the land of Lincoln. The U.S. Department of Labor reported 54,800 new filers in Illinois last week. The week before that, there were 46,900 new filers. The state's unemployment systems plagued with debt, backlogged callbacks, and fraud. The Illinois Department of Employment Security is looking into a video showing one of their callback operators not responding after calling an unemployed resident. Cole Lauterbach has that story. Hello? It wasn't the first time it happened to Mundelein resident Kelly Faye Walters. She taped the last minutes of a 35-minute call but says the hour-long one before had what sounded like a pornographic video playing in the background of an otherwise non-responsive call. Faye Walters says she's hoping to get a call back for her unemployment recertification, the process the state is using to keep people from sitting on the phone. This was supposed to be the callback system so that you didn't have to wait online. After seeing the video, a spokesman for IDES says they plan to open an investigation. Illinois' unemployment rate still lags behind the national average at 10.2% in September. I'm Cole Lauterbach. The ball is now in the court of local school boards as to whether to allow their teams to have winter basketball. But the ball is still in the air. Wednesday, Springfield's Lanphier High School basketball coach Blake Turner told WMAY after the governor prohibited basketball, some of his players were getting recruitment calls from out-of-state prep schools. 
and I, I've talked to coaches in other parts of the state, far north and far south, and they both and they they've experienced the same thing in both places. He said the Illinois High School Association going against the governor to give local districts the ability to allow basketball is a glimmer of hope in a dark tunnel. Springfield District 186 School Board President Scott McFarlane said allowing basketball will be a tough decision. Well, I'm disappointed that IHSA punted, um, basically saying, yeah, we're going to do it, but it's up to this, uh, the school boards. But I guess the school boards are going to have to act like the adults in the room, so that's what we're going to do. He worried about the possible spread of COVID-19 having basketball season could foster. In Alton School District, where students recently started a hybrid model of instruction after being fully remote, Superintendent Christy Baumgartner said they'll be evaluating the issue closely. We're still trying to, to gather additional information and, and find time to meet as a team to discuss what the options are. Governor J.B. Pritzker criticized IHSA for passing the decision to local school districts warning of legal liability. When asked about it again Thursday, he urged the districts to follow his game plan. Even the high-risk sports, there are things that they can do. It's not like we're shutting the sports down. But these are all being moved into the spring with the hope that, with the hope that, we'll be seeing vaccines and treatments that will be effective. The IHSA plan would allow games to begin late November. While in-person instruction can be linked to an increase of COVID-19 positives, it doesn't correlate to increased COVID-19-related deaths. That's according to Dana analysis from a University of Illinois Springfield professor. Illinois Association of Regional Superintendents of Schools President Mark Kleisner said that they hear of problems with the different education plans around the state, but they also hear success stories. We're seeing young children who are managing the masks, who are able to be in person. We're also seeing that some young kids are thriving at home. Many school districts are still all remote, worried about spreading COVID-19. Professor Gary Reinbold told WMAY from the Illinois data that he's reviewed, in-person instruction does correlate with increased COVID-19 cases, but not with COVID-19-related deaths. Reinbold said his conclusion should send a message to school boards. You know, certainly we know there are a lot of benefits to having kids in schools across a variety of different areas. And more and more, it's looking like the risks aren't as significant as we thought they were. And it's there were other outcomes that he shared. To me, the most interesting thing that I found was that there wasn't a significant difference between counties that had most of their students in hybrid and counties that had most of their students fully online. Kleisner said getting into a hybrid model is important. The ability to be in a hybrid mode when that's available, as soon as that's available, to build face-to-face -face relationships and you know just um, that connecting is hugely powerful. According to a new study... Illinois is among the easiest states in the country in which to cast a ballot. Scott Bertram has more. Northern Illinois University professor Scott Schraufnagel, who co-authored the report, says a recent law helped push the state to fourth among the 50 states. Now if you go to a Department of Motor Vehicle location in Illinois, but also other state-run agencies, you will be automatically registered to vote. The study looked at the time and effort it takes to vote, including factors like registration deadlines and the number of early voting days. Schraufnagel says in contrast to Illinois, some states moved down the list. We see in Texas, Arizona, and Georgia the elimination of polling location by more than 50 percent in some parts of the state. The study put Oregon, Washington, and Utah on top of the list of easiest states to vote. Virginia had the biggest jump since the last report, moving from 49th to 12th. I'm Scott Bertram. And of 8.3 million registered voters in Illinois, as of Thursday, 
There have been more than 1.3 million early votes cast, nearly 1.4 million votes returned by mail, according to the Illinois State Board of Elections. That's a total of 2.7 million votes cast before Tuesday's election in Illinois. In the 2016 general election, there were 3.5 million overall votes cast. Those are the top stories from the past week from Illinois. Find more online at thecentersquare.com. Coming up for Illinois in Focus, commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. everyone and welcome back to Illinois and Focus's Crosstalk segment powered by the Center Square here in Illinois. I'm Chris Krug, publisher of the Center Square, joined by our executive editor, Dan McCaleb. Dan, what's up? Hey, Chris. Happy Halloween. Yeah, thank thank you very much. Thank you very much. We are we are trick or treating this weekend or? Uh, uh, yes, I'm uh, I <laughs> if I go out, I will be wearing a mask. It's pretty safe to say. Um, We're taping this on the 29th of October. It's a Thursday, two days before Halloween. And um, again, what would it be? Five days before uh, Election Day, uh, which is November 3rd. So if you're listening to this within the window, uh, we are taping this prior to Election Day and prior to Halloween. So we don't know how Halloween is going to turn out either. We We have no idea, right? So we're going to do our very best. Um, Dan, I, uh, big news around the state. Uh, I mean, obviously this week, you know, and we're going to talk about the elections. We're going to get to that. There's plenty. There's we're going to give plenty of time to, to the elections. Um, but new uh, COVID mitigation uh, uh, orders uh, being dropped in to specific regions. And if you live up in the northern part of, of the state, particularly in the northeast corner around um, Chicago and in the suburbs, um, you you lost a, a little bit of freedom this week. Yeah, pretty much um, eight of the state's 11 regions are now under uh, Tier 1, what Governor Pritzker calls Tier 1 mitigation efforts. And uh, what that means is indoor dining at restaurants is banned. Now, for some of these regions, including ours, that ban does not go into place until Saturday. Happy Halloween, by the way, restaurant owners. Um, uh, But only three of the state's regions uh, are not under those uh, tier regions, mostly the central uh, part of the state. Um, This is just going to be devastating um, for restaurants. Uh, many have already said they're teetering even with allowing indoor dining, but with capacity limits. Um, shutting down restaurants again is going to result in some large percentage of them never reopening again. It's catastrophic for the economy, uh, for the work, the, the, the owners of the, these restaurants, for the workers there who will lose their paychecks and their jobs because of it. It's just it's it's a bad situation all the way around. Yeah, and the timing of it's kind of uh, it's kind of interesting, right? So you know when we first 
you know, started the the, the shutdown uh, approach, it was headed into St. Patrick's Day, which is my probably my first favorite indoor drinking holiday. And now um, they're ramping things up just ahead of Halloween, which I'm not a huge Halloween fan, but I know that a lot of people look at it as their favorite indoor drinking holiday. Um, what do the numbers tell you? I mean, and what, what do you, what do you make? We've had a lot of conversations in the last months, in the last few months about data and how, how the, the Pritzker administration, which is, which has gone and gone on its own. I mean, really, there's been no legislative uh, effect or contribution to, to the decision-making that's happening in the state of Illinois. So, you know, we effectively have G Governor J.B. Pritzker and the Wizards of Oz uh, modelers uh, telling yeah, us what curtain. the data means, right? Yes. So, so uh, Pritzker is essentially hanging his hat on, um, mostly on, I guess I should say, these positivity rates. Right. And if, if, if regions show positive positivity rates, and by positivity rate, we're talking about the number of people who are tested divided by the number of people who test positive. If the positivity rates are above 8% for three consecutive days, Pritzker has mandated, as you said, not with the legislature who normally makes laws, um, has, has mandated that these regions have to uh, put have further restrictions put on them. Um, limit to 10 guests in, in, in any indoor or outdoor settings, shutting down indoor dining service at restaurants and bars. Yeah, 25% capacity at, at gyms, uh, things like that. And it's, it's, it's one man's decision. It's J.B. Pritzker's decision. The legislature, the Democrats in the legislature anyway, uh, are still playing hide and seek with this whole thing, not holding hearings. Republicans have called for hearings um, so they can have a say uh, in what's going on uh, with these mandates. Democrats don't seem interested. Uh, Senate President Don Harmon told us uh, just this week that he would consider those uh, demands by Republicans to hold hearings on these restrictions. Um, but uh, we're now nine months into this thing and they, they haven't uh, met a single time to t talk about the governor's emergency orders and, and mandates. Well, the public blowback, which is, I think, has been um, has been steady, frankly, you know, th throughout this process, simply because of, you know, what they perceive. I think the public, as I, if I'm reading the public correct, um, a lack of transparency or a lack of conveyance of, of, of understanding as to why we're doing the things that we're doing at the state level. Um, now businesses that have been asked to shut down once and are facing a second shutdown um, they're up in arms. Um, we're also seeing, you know, um, certainly, you know, people who you would not necessarily think would push back against Governor Pritzker, aligned allies, uh, good friend Jack Franks, who's the uh, McHenry County chairman, is pushing back. A Democrat. A Democrat. Lori Lightfoot, mayor of the city of Chicago, pushing back. The IHSA, which is largely composed of former Illinois high school administrators, um, pushing back. It's just, um, you know, are we reaching a point where the general consensus is we've had, you know, that enough's enough, and that when, and that that, that that what what we're doing obviously isn't working because we've had mitigation in play. 
And we were applauding for ourselves at what a great job we were doing compared with the rest of the, the border states. Everybody around us, their numbers were terrible and ours were great. Now their numbers aren't so bad and our numbers are apparently bad enough that we've got to close everything back down again. What do you make uh, of this? Well, it's we're well beyond the breaking point. Um, a number of restaurants, a Kane County restaurant uh, just this week won a restraining order uh, from a Kane County judge um, allowing it to stay open, even though the governor's uh, uh, restrictions closing indoor dining at the restaurant um, uh, uh, essentially closes them. They filed suit on Friday. They got an expedited hearing on Tuesday of this week. Um, they were granted, uh, they won a restraining order against the governor. Um, a number of McHenry County, uh, where you, you mentioned the uh, uh, County Board Chairman Jack Franks pushing back. A number of McHenry County residents or McHenry County restaurant owners are filing suit today and hope to get an expedited hearing uh, tomorrow, Friday, uh, to get the same result because they, they've all said, um, we won't reopen uh, if we have to be shut down for any uh, period of time. So we need to fight this thing. People are desperate. Restaurant owners, yeah. restaurant workers are desperate. We are at a point now um, where it, it just this can't go on. Yeah, and I, and I I I I feel I feel for the people that have put their you know their their lives and their passion and certainly you know their their life savings um, into businesses that are being uh, affected in in this way that that require an interaction a direct interaction uh, with the with the public. It's just been awful to sit and watch and. You know, we've tried to support as many different local businesses as we can. The reality of it is, even if we did that, you know, three meals a day, um, you know, cost uh, costing aside, it's almost uh, an impracticality. So you, you really you really can't can't commit to, to even trying to do something like that. So you try to help the businesses that, that you can as best as you possibly can at this point. Um, as as things are, are sort of moving um, onward, you know, amid COVID, you know, we had a f what amounted to be a huge false start across, um, in particular, the northern uh, suburbs um, in in Illinois or the northern communities, counties across the northern part of the state, where states that were remote went to a hybrid model and then had the hybrid model pulled out from under them because of local COVID numbers. Where are we with schools at this point, Dan? Yeah, most most schools throughout the state right now are exclusively in remote. That's not all, but uh, the vast majority of schools in Illinois are um, are are one hundred percent remote. That largely has to do with the scare that Governor Pritzker and health and his health team uh, are putting out there. Um, there are uh, school districts that are in a hybrid model. There are mm -hmm. fewer that are fully uh, in person. And um, uh, a study that was released uh, this week uh, by a professor at the University of Illinois Springfield showed that there's not much difference in transmission rates in a fully remote model uh, and a hybrid model. Where you know, have to, an example of a hybrid model, uh, which my daughter was in for two weeks before it got shut down, mm -hmm. uh, was you know, kids are divided, so student population is divided in half. Um, half the kids go Tuesday and Thursday, the other half the kids go Wednesday and Friday, and that's to allow social distancing in classrooms, limits the number of people in the classroom so you can have space desks six feet or more apart, um, and then they uh, alternate on Mondays. Uh, well, two weeks into that model, because of uh, the, the, the state health department and the county health department, um, 
essentially scaring them, shaming them into going back to a remote, remote only model. They're back to remote model. But the study found that there's no difference in transmission rates um, uh, in a totally remote model uh, and a hybrid model. Now there were there were some increases in full uh, in school districts uh, or schools that were 100% in school learning. Right. Um, but that makes sense because you. You, 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 you can't reasonably probably social distance in those settings. But the hybrid model is showing no higher increase in rates of transmission of COVID-19 than fully remote models. So if we're trusting the science and we're trusting the data, why aren't we in hybrid models? Yeah. And then, and that's the part of this that's, uh, I think that that's been really jarring for parents. So you'd mentioned that your, your daughter was back in school for a couple of weeks my daughter was back in school for two days uh, in the in a in the same week uh, in a, the hybrid model that they released in our elementary district. And um, you know, if it if it hasn't been um, difficult enough for students to get into the rhythm of learning through uh, iPads, which is um, frankly, my opinion, it's tr it's trash. It, it it's car it's cartoon school, you know, and um, but. If that wasn't goofy enough, then asking them to come back to school for a couple of days, which was our choice, and we chose we chose to to let that happen, um, and then to pull that back away, you know, within within a couple of days, it's just, I I, I think that that public education in Illinois, you know, at the local level, has really lost sight of what what's important and who's important in this equation, and and it's going to come back to bite them. It's oh, going to yeah. come back to bite them. Yeah, there have been studies that, you know, just, just uh, when the school shutdowns began in, in March, uh, how much educational opportunity students lost just at the end of the last um, right. semester, last school year. Now we're doing this for a full semester this year and possibly, heck, possibly even uh, into next year. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, no moss uh, uh, on that would, you know, my, my, my youngest daughter's a dual language uh, student. So I would just simply say no moss to that. So, you know, I'd referenced earlier, Danny, that the uh, IHSA and uh, JB Pritzker, uh, our governor uh, at odds around basketball, which kind of an odd thing. I mean, um, uh, Dr. Zeke and, or excuse me, Dr. Ngazi Zeke and uh, the IDPH, uh, head. She's an internist by trade, but she she runs the IDPH, and so she's the head uh, public health doctor here in Illinois. Her daughter uh, plays basketball. That's our understanding. Um, there was some uh, backlash that was pointed at her directly, whether or not that had anything to do with her sort of emotional outpouring at, at the lectern uh, last week during a news conference. Nobody knows, and it, I don't even think it's appropriate to ask. I, I have no problem with that with that lady. I think she's doing a, doing the best possible job that she can. Um, but uh, the bottom line is no hoops, not looking really good for uh, any winter sports of any kind at this point. Where are we with with what's going on in the IHSA? Yeah, and the well, in the initial guidance, basketball. Uh, Governor Pritzker and his team divided uh, high school sports up into three tiers, low risk, medium risk, and high risk. And um, in the initial guidelines, basketball was medium risk. And that's why the, uh, Dr. Zike uh, faced some criticism because her daughter played basketball. They could they could compete. They were allowed in the medium risk category. You were allowed to uh, 
to compete. And there was some backlash about that, for example, comparing basketball to hockey, where you wear a mask and there's um, uh, bigger, more space and whatnot. But but hockey, ice hockey was a was a high risk sport. Well, this week they changed course. I don't know if it's because of that backlash or that criticism. I have no idea. But the uh, Pritzker's administration uh, moved basketball from a medium risk sport to a high risk sport, which means um, no physical contact and no actual games, no competition. Right. Um, well, the IHSA says they were told about that 15 minutes before it was announced publicly, and then the next day they came out and said, um, uh, essentially, we're going to we're going to have uh, allow school districts to decide if they want to have competition. Basketball games can start on November 30th in complete defiance of the governor's orders. You know, one of the things that you know that we've talked about ongoing here, you know, and and we maybe hear a little bit less of this from uh, Governor Pritzker you know, uh, than we did before. And and certainly when he was, um, you know, making his way to meet the press or appearing on CNN, like felt like every Sunday morning talking to a national audience about what was going on in Illinois um, was that the Trump administration provided not nearly enough guidance for states to do um, what they needed to do or, or to, you know, to know how to respond or, or, or whatever the, whatever the case was. I mean, it's not too difficult to go out and, and find the, the clips of the things that, that Governor Pritzker said specifically about a lack of guidance from the top. But it, but here in Illinois, I mean, the lack of guidance generally, you know, downward, in particular around schools and now extracurricular stuff in, you know, sports is really, it's, it, I think it's, it's stunning because, um, you know, if your if your if your opinion was that hey, you know what, we have to take this on our on our own because you know we're not getting enough guidance from the from the federal government, so we're gonna we're gonna take our data and science and we're gonna make decisions and 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 they're gonna be good decisions. He's gone it alone, no legis no help from the legislature at all. He's created this pool of like wizards and weirdos that that develop these uh, models, this the the that is the science and data that. That uh, uh, Dr. Ezekiel has to uh, has to speak to every week. We have schools that are open, closed, open, closed. You know, I mean, as as parents made their way through the summer, we have sports that are off, on, off, on again. I mean, you know, it's just like, where does the roulette wheel stop for for people who are simply trying to understand what in the world is going on, and to position their children and their families to be healthy and safe and to make it through this pandemic. Yeah. Unfortunately with this administration and the, um, the lack of uh, uh, transparency and the lack of accountability uh, that's lingered, as we mentioned up top, the legislature has stayed on the sidelines this entire time. Most other States um, both in the Midwest and around the country, the legislature has gotten involved in the decision-making. They are the lawmakers. They are the ones that make, make, are supposed to be making the laws. But here in Illinois, they want no part of it. I don't know if it's because Speaker Madigan's uh, uh, under federal investigation for bribery and other corruption a- allegations, um, not been charged. He has not been charged with a crime, um, but he has been identified um, as, as, as someone who's been uh that's a target i guess i'd say um, a person of if, interest perhaps yeah there you go <laughs> um i don't know if he because he didn't want he doesn't want any more public spotlight because of the federal corruption probe or not but he's been largely silent uh since the pandemic started 
Um, uh, so there, there's been no transparency. There's been no accountability. And unfortunately, the stop, start, stop, start uh, policies that we're getting from this Pritzker administration, there, it seems like no end in sight to that. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think it's that it's the, the my biggest complaint would be the leader would be the leadership void, you know, not that there aren't that there isn't someone who's out there that's trying to take, you know, take a leadership role. I mean, without question, I mean, you have to give JB credit for the fact that he's out in front of the public every single day, but he doesn't answer difficult questions. Uh, he's not posed difficult questions because, you know, you have a number of media uh, outlets including us that, you know, for frankly, for safety precautions, we can't and don't want to expose our people to mass rooms of, you know, of, uh, of gatherings and whatnot. So you have these screened, you know, basically layup questions that are asked, you know, the vast majority of the time. People just uh, don't have a lot of insight as to what's, what's really going on because the, the tough questions are not, are, are not being answered. When, even when they do make it through the strainer, you know, that that is the, the the process by which questions are asked. You don't get a sincere answer or, or you don't get you don't get an answer at all. I, I, we talked about it. It was either last week or two weeks ago uh, when the story broke um, about the uh, uh, progressive income tax uh, and the social the fake social, the fake Twitter account that was shared by the pro uh, progressive tax group uh, and promoted sponsored on Facebook and gotten to get in front of as many people, as many as a million people or whatever. It was bogus tweet. They knew yeah. it was a bogus tweet. We asked the governor directly about that and he ignored the question. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, and that, and that's sort of on the gateway to, uh, to the election, which I'm, I'm, I'm going to, going to guess that the, the people listening here on the Illinois radio network and, um, picking up the Illinois and Focus podcast on anchor.fm and, and other such places probably want us to spend some time with. Um, what's at stake in Illinois? I mean, obviously, uh, progressive income tax, you know, would be, and it's odd, right? Because I think most people in Illinois are conditioned to thinking about political races. You know, it's people, people taking a position, you know, uh, having a role in government. Uh, we don't have ballot initiatives here in Illinois like you would have in states like California or Arizona um, and other such places, uh, Colorado, where there's always ballot initiatives. So um, the, the, the ballot initiative that, 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 you know, is, is sort of like the, like it's the, it's the star voting option uh, on your ballot is um, a, a question as to whether or not we give permission to the state of, uh, of Illinois to open up uh, the the constitution for the purpose of resetting tax rates by income bracket, uh, thereby allowing a progressive tax to uh, to to be enacted. What's your take on this, Dan? With regard to you know where we stand, we're like I said, within a week of the election, um, Tuesday night. They need sixty percent to pass it. Um, there's been a hundred and some million dollars spent in the advertising of, of this issue, pro and con. Yeah, most, um, it's the most expensive item on the ballot outside of the presidential, of course, uh, election of any initiative across the country. It's been the most expensive because of the money, particularly because of the money that Governor J.B. Pritzker, uh, his own billionaire fortune that he put into this. Uh, to promote uh, the progressive tax. Um, what's at stake is, it, I'm not a, in a position to predict whether it's going to 
um, uh, pass or fail. I think it's going to be pretty close. I don't know if we're going to know the outcome election night because of all the mail-in ballots um, and and uh, how those get counted. Um, but what's at stake is jobs, essentially. If it passes, um, it, it will impact severely small, uh, small business owners who will have to make up for the additional tax money that they're going to have to pay for by reducing costs. And how do small business owners reduce costs? Jobs. Right. And remember, we just talked about what's affecting restaurants. We're in the middle of a pandemic still. Governor Pritzker is, you know, closing indoor dining to uh, to restaurants. He's limiting capacity at, at all businesses. Um, they're already struggling because of that. Uh, but Governor Pritzker wants to uh, impose higher taxes on them. And I think one of the one of the the the, the oddities that you know that that lives within sort of the the belly of, of the beast that is this, this progressive income tax is that it's resonated with some people to an extent that they feel like this is finally what's going to fix pensions in, in Illinois. And it, and it really, it doesn't, it doesn't address that. Um, we're already 25% of every dollar that we send down to Springfield goes to pay for pensions. This generates more money. But the vast majority of the money that would be collected as a result of this progressive income tax, which is in them, I mean, it's in the billions, it's, it's you're talking about the billions of dollars, you know, as as proposed. But that goes toward not paying down our debt, but incurring more uh, more expense in in in, in infrastructure and, and, and whatnot. It goes into the black hole that is Springfield. Um uh, a legislative body uh, that passes increased budgets year in and year out, does not get a handle uh, on curbing expenses, just wants want more of your money. Uh, they put proposed rates out there that they say um, after this passes, 97% uh, of Illinoisans um, will either see no increase or see a, a, a very small reduction in their taxes, but they can change those rates anytime they want if this does in fact pass. And you know this legislature uh, as well as I do, and they'll be back changing those rates regularly. And middle income middle income earners will be seeing tax increases off this progressive tax at some point in the next few years if it passes. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, it, it it never just stops. Unfortunately, in the state of Illinois, um, it it never just stops with the initiative. I mean, whether it's a you know it's a tollway system or I, I don't know. I mean, think about the other other things, even more recent things like. You know, we're paying 19 and a half more cents a gallon um, for gasoline than we paid last year. And gas prices are pretty reasonable right now. If we didn't have the tax on it, you could take 19 and a half cents off the price of that. And you know what you could do with it? You could keep it. So what exactly is happening with the gasoline tax revenue? I mean, is that made any kind of a discernible um difference in the you know in 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 anything i mean i think if people are trying to see through right to kind of what government does when it asks for more money you tell me we're all so, paying you know what amounts to be at this point uh a 10 percent add-on to the price of gasoline okay it's it's a it's a per gallon it's a flat 19 and a half cents on top of the existing 19 and a half cents that was already there so we're paying 38 cents but if you look at gal gasoline is basically being about two dollars a gallon right now and paying a 10 percent overage on that that's new and we're we're all buying gasoline we're trying to get back to regular life 
what difference has that made? Well, we still have an unbalanced budget uh, by billions of dollars. We still have a, a pension uh, deficit that's growing every single year, $140 billion. Um, and we, we can't forget that Governor, uh, former Governor Pat Quinn, uh, under his administration, the legislature passed an income tax increase um, that was partially rolled back several years later. That was supposed to solve the pension crisis. Then under Governor Rauner, the legislature passed another income tax increase. That was supposed to uh, solve the pension crisis. Guess what? The pension debt just kept climbing and climbing and climbing. Uh, if this passes, um, it's not going to solve the pension debt. It's not going to make any Illinoisans' lives better. Um, services are not going to improve. The roads are not going to improve. Um, it's just going to be uh, sending more of your hard-earned dollars to the black hole that is Springfield. Yeah, uh, that that's not exactly heartwarming. Um, uh, anything else on the ballot that uh, that you find interesting? Of course, you know that you know, there are things that are sort of obviously that are regional. Um, but all, everybody's everybody's uh, state representative or state house seat is going to be on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, all representatives are, are up for re-election this year. Um, unfortunately, almost half of those races are uncontested because of the way Speaker Madigan controls the redistrict, redistricting process. Um, uh, a, a number of state senates or seats are up, but not in every single district uh, because those are staggered staggered terms. Um, you'll see some judge retentions uh, on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, my personal feeling is judges should pay, face re-election just like everybody else. Um, so I'm not going to make a re- recommendation on that, but essentially a, a yes vote um, means you want the judge to stay in their post right. without facing a challenger. A no vote means simply you're not electing them out of office. You're just making them run against an opponent. Right. Um, so those are the th- and there's some, uh, all of U.S. all U.S. House seats, just like all state house seats, all U.S. House seats are up um, as well. Yeah. Um, it'll, uh, I, I'm very, very interested to see, you know, sort of w- what we will be able to learn by Tuesday night. And and I know that, you know, you guys, you know, here in Illinois uh, with the center squares, you know, got your election plans. Um, and then of course the Illinois radio network um, has, uh, has its own election plans that are, that are scheduled for, for Tuesday night to, to be able to deliver out whatever it can deliver. How do you anticipate Tuesday night going as you look? I mean, this is, I don't know. I mean, you've been doing this a long time, my man. I mean, how do you anticipate this Tuesday night unfolding? It's it's going to be challenging. It's This will be an, an election like an election like no other I've covered because of the massive number of mail-in ballots. And, of course, uh, the center square, we're, we, we cover a number of states, 30 states nationwide right now. So it's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds when it, when you, when the East coast polls close, you know, at their times and the Midwest here in Illinois and, and other Midwest states, the polls close here. And then you go out to the mountain states. And then of course the Pacific uh, coast states. Um, I don't know that we're going to know a lot of winners uh, when the clock strikes, whatever midnight mm-hmm. uh, on election night. We, in fact, it could be days because different states, uh, have different rules for how you can count uh, mail-in ballots. Right. Um, uh, some have to wait until the polls completely close, and then you start counting. And that's a long, arduous uh, uh, process. So I'm looking forward to it being over. Um, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> but it'll be an interesting Some people are looking that. forward to it happening. You're just looking forward to it being finished. It's going to be a long night, uh, late, early morning the next day, and uh, – so if I get uh, 
cranky next week on the on the podcast. On my apologies. <laughs> well, I, I look, apologize I, in advance. I, I well, I, I I appreciate that. I mean, um, and, and hopefully, hopefully that that you know that our audience will just will just forgive you know whatever whatever grumpiness you, you might bring to the process next week. Um, let's finish up um, just, you know, just very quickly, you know, in Illinois, I mean, uh, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, uh, House Speaker Michael Madigan. Uh, obviously, he'll he'll cakewalk his way uh, back to uh, back to Springfield. Um, he is running again, like like Dan said, everybody in the House is running again. And um, the speakership part of his life, I mean, um Democrats are not exactly, you know, trumpeting it from uh, every window uh, or around uh, every hallway. But more Democrats are coming out and saying, ah, I'm not so sure that uh, I'm on board for Mr. Madigan to be speaker again. Are you surprised there aren't more? Well, it is. It's growing very slowly, the number of people who have said that. Um, I am not surprised it's not more, but just because of the power um, that Madigan wields, both as the House Speaker and also as the chairman of the state Democratic Party, yeah. um, which controls millions of dollars of, of fundraising cash. And that cash is essentially Madigan decides how that cash is distributed to candidates um, uh, uh, who are running for either re-election or for the first time election. So he can he can decide if someone uh, uh, says they're not going to vote for him to speaker. Well, you're not getting any any Democratic Party money or any money from my own uh, huge campaign uh, coffers. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm actually encouraged by even though it's slow and it's small by the number of people um, who are saying they will not support Madigan for another uh, speaker term. Um, we we reported them, you know, a month or so ago, maybe five or six weeks ago, that State Representative Stephanie Kifowit of Oswego has always said that she is going to run against Madigan. She's of course on the ballot, but she's one of the many who are unopposed, so she's a shoe in to win on November third. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said she's putting her hat in the race for the speakership. And then there, uh, 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 there are more people who are coming out and saying, maybe we will consider uh, someone other than Madigan for the speaker role. Well, I, I look forward to seeing that. I mean, and you know, it's just sort of like a closing thought. You know, the the, the election obviously is Tuesday. It's election day. Um, I am really hopeful. You know, in the days, uh, if not prior to the election. Then after the election, that uh, the people with whom you interact, your family and your friends, the people that you've you know maybe grown up with, or you know your neighbors or whatnot, who you've um, determined have a differing point of view than yours, if you have wandered away from each other, and with regard to just being able to talk about things that are political in nature at this point that you find a way to reopen uh, those relationships and have some conversations in the aftermath of this election. Um, I also hope that the week ahead is, uh, is peaceful and, and, and that, and that the things that we are, are hearing, you know, uh, and, and obviously seeing mobilizations of national guard and preparedness training, not just here in Illinois, but elsewhere around the country, um, that there's a sense of, of, of calm and community. And we are able to get back to having uh, meaningful 
and friendly conversations uh, with people we agree with and those with whom we do not. Absolutely, it's been a tough year, um, both with COVID and the, the 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 unrest, the racial unrest after the death of George Floyd in the hand of hands of in the custody of Minneapolis police. That um, uh, while that was wrong, there is no excuse um, uh, to riot. To, uh, Peaceful protests are fine, um, but hopefully, as you say, uh, regardless of the outcome of the election, um, uh, people come together, support the next president, um, whoever that may be, and we, we can get, get past this COVID mess and uh, come back together. That'd be wonderful. For Dan McCaleb, this has been Chris Krug. You've been listening to the Illinois In Focus podcast powered by the Center Square. Now over to Greg Bishop for a look at what the Center Square will be working on next week. Next week is the general election. From the constitutional amendment to change the state's income tax from a flat one to one with higher rates on higher earners to the outcomes of congressional and state house races, the team at the Center Square will cover all of the important races impacting taxpayers across the state. We'll also be on the ground to track the continued fallout on the ongoing COVID-19 mitigation efforts from the governor and bring you the latest on the House investigation of Speaker Michael Madigan's involvement in the ComEd bribery scheme. This has been Illinois in Focus. For more Illinois stories and commentary online, visit thecentersquare.com. For the Center Square, Illinois, I'm Greg Bishop.